0: How many of you are excited about the Word this morning? Okay, that's not like a uh, self-promotion. Well, you already heard it, because it was already spoken through worship this morning. And so I'm excited to just be partnering with what the Holy Spirit has already talked about. Amen? Hey, let's get, uh, let's get started with prayer. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Yes. Amen. Come flood this place the atmosphere we thank you Lord uh, for the theme that you have already woven into this gathering this morning father we pray that you would just endue me with the ability to build upon that and God speak to us reaffirm what has already been spoken in Jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. Patrick you ready for the word this morning all right don't lean back lean in Well, we are in week three of a series that began Sunday, October 24th, called The Church That Jesus Is Building, and as we have discovered from the last several weeks, Jesus is building a church. Can I get an amen? Yes. Amen. And uh, make no mistake about it, despite what you may hear about the church, uh, Jesus is building a church. I don't know if you know this, but there are cultural forecasters and prognosticators that will tell you that the church is increasingly becoming irrelevant and is even dying off. Matter of fact, in the year 2000 or 2020, 2020, 2020, uh, a magazine called The Atlantic Weekly actually created an article, wrote an article that said, "Will the church survive?" And they cited the low church attendance during 2020 due to COVID. Uh, Matter of fact, they even continued talking about European church attendance, uh, which has already been low and COVID made it lower. Uh, And they were citing these as reasons why the church uh, will not continue to survive. Statistically, they found and reported that half of U.S. adults who attended church before COVID were highly unlikely to return even after public health officials deemed it safe to return. But how many of you know that the the existence of the church is not predicated on people? (laughs) See, that's where they got it wrong. Their forecasting and their prognosticating was based upon what people's behavior would be, not God's behavior, not the sovereignty of God. And so Jesus is continuing to build his church. See, whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the report of man, which is limited to man's capacity and understanding? Or are you going to listen to the report of the Lord that when he does something, he's going to be faithful to comp- complete it? Listen, the reason why the church will not cease to exist is because when God starts something, he cannot be stopped. He can't be stopped. Death could not stop Jesus. What else could stop him? And The thing that I love about God, when God starts something, it cannot be stopped because He cannot be stopped. The thing I love about God is that uh, in Acts 5.39, there were some prognosticators and forecasters that said that the church wouldn't survive and someone had to rise up and speak to them and say, hey, listen, when you pick a fight with God, bad things happen. They found out very quickly that when God started something, He's not going to allow it to be stopped because he cannot be stopped. And so what we find is that the church will continue to grow. It will continue to be built because God did not leave the church to build itself. Thank God God that he did not leave the church to build itself. Amen. For over 2000 years, the gates of hell have opened up all of its wickedness. The church has been persecuted. Its members have been tortured. Its believers have been killed. Its buildings have been burnt to the ground. The church has been outlawed, criticized, and ridiculed, and yet it still exists. God did not leave the church to build itself. I'll never forget a time I was left in the middle of installing an outside door at my house uh, to build it myself, to complete the project myself. How many of you are DIYers? Anybody in the, house, in the room a DIYer? Have you ever started a project that you didn't know how to complete? You were relying on the person who joined you in the installation process to complete it for you and they had to leave and then you're left to fend for yourself. Anybody ever do that? This was my story. It was in the middle of fall. I had a great friend that knew how to install exterior doors. It was not Donnie Pritchard who bailed on me, bailed, Donnie would not do that. And even if Donnie would do that, he'd be super encouraging on the way out. (laughs) He'd be like, hey buddy, it's real simple, you know, you just figure it out, you know, you can't mess it up, you'll be fine. And you would have a little bit of a momentary assurance and then you would be devastated. (laughs) I was in the middle of this project, it was fall, and a friend of mine came over and he started to help me. I had taken the door out myself which is pretty, you know, demo is always easy. Uh, You know, you think that you know how to install something by demolishing it. And so you get a little bit confident. So I started this project and the person came over and they started to, you know, uh, help me put it in. And, you know, as most home projects go, there was complications right in the middle, things that got uncovered as you're doing the whole process. And then my friend is like, hey man, I gotta go good luck and here i am in the middle of the building process in the middle of the installation process having to figure it out on myself listen jesus did not is not and will not allow the church to be left alone to build itself jesus is building the church when in Matthew 28 he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that was not just individually speaking, that was collectively and corporately speaking to his bride, I'm not going to abandon you in the building process. He is not just the one who created the blueprint, but he is also, and he's not just the foundation, but listen, he's also the foreman. He's building, he's advising, he's supervising, he's constructing because what he builds, he's not leaving it to be built by itself. And so we see this promise in Matthew 16, 18, which has been the foundational scripture to our series. I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now remember that rock was not Peter, that was the revelation that Peter had, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So he is building his church, and listen, as long as Redeemer's church stays true to his blueprint, then the, And the foundation that Jesus Christ laid, laid, listen, then he will build Redeemer's church. He will preserve it, sustain it, maintain it, and grow it. Can I get an amen? amen? But the question that begs to be asked is, if Jesus says he will build his church, then what type of church does he want to build? Because he can build anything. Yeah. And if you look across the scope and scale of the church at, at large today, there's a lot that's being built. But what is it? That is being built is it following Jesus's blueprint matter of fact, I didn't I didn't mention this a couple years ago or a couple years ago weeks ago It's felt like years over the last couple weeks a um, couple weeks ago uh, I I didn't mention in them, but I'll mention it now. There was a famous pastor well-known pastor that planted a church in Michigan thousands of people and then he walked away the, from the church and he wrote a book about how hell is not real this is true. Is it not? What kind of church are we, what kind of church is being built by the leader who has concluded that hell isn't real? right? So we have to make sure, hey, how about this one? How about the Reformation was celebrated a couple weeks ago? What was the purpose of the Reformation? The church that was being built had started to deviate from what God intended. And so the Holy Spirit drops this in Martin Luther's heart. He writes the 95 thesis, nails it to the wall and says, this is where we're off. In order for the church to continue to be the church that Jesus builds, we have to stick to the blueprint So I'm not saying that Redeemer's Church is off. I'm just saying, how about we talk about it before we deviate? That's how you sustain what God is building. Can I get an amen? Amen. So last week, we talked about the type of church that Jesus wants wants to build. We talked about the ecclesia, and we talked about the embassy. And this week, I want to talk from uh, another attribute of the church that Jesus is building. We find that in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, just put your finger right at Ephesians because we are going to reference it, but we're gonna go there a little bit later in the sermon. Uh, But let me just kind of give you a a little bit of context. Roughly nine years after Paul started a church in the book of, uh, started a church in Ephesus, he writes this letter to the church. And Paul has a theme for the book of Ephesians. The theme, if I could put language to it, the theme is this. It is the new society that God wants to establish on earth called the church. It's a new society, a society that the world did not know before, and it's called the church. This is a new society of both Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, man and woman, all on equal footing that are gathering together as the body of Christ. And Paul uses several different descriptions to talk about the church that he wants to build. For the sake of just kind of seeing these, we're not gonna go through every one of them, but just so you see these descriptions, there's seven descriptions here, Uh, Number one is his legislative body. We talked about that last week. That's the ecclesia in Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 through 23. Number two, his workmanship. How many of you know you are created in Christ Jesus as workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. Number three, his family, Ephesians 2.18 and 19. Number four, his bride, Ephesians 5.25 through 27. Ephesians uh, 6.13, his army. You need the armor of God because you are the army of God. Number six, his body, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. And lastly, his building, Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. But that's the last one that I wanna talk about. Actually, going into today or leading into this, this sermon, I wanted to focus on the body and the building and the Lord just deviated me from going to both and said, talk about the building today and you will find out why. The building, so what type of building does Jesus want the church to be? Well, we gotta, we gotta go through a little bit of history in scripture to kinda talk about that. So, um, this building that Jesus wants the church to be, uh, we see in the scope of the Old Testament. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. Okay, now, let me just say something really quickly, uh, because you need to, to understand this, this is so important. God has always required his people to provide him with a building always required his people to provide him with a building. Now, that's in the Old Testament. He always required his people to provide him with a building. This building was not just any building. The building that God wanted his people to build him wasn't just a shrine, it wasn't just a a, a memorial place to remember him, and it wasn't even just a religious center. He could have asked them to build him anything, but listen to me, what God wanted, all, wanted his people to build him always was a dwelling place, a dwelling place. He didn't just want a shrine, he wanted a dwelling place. By dwelling place, I mean a home address or residence on the earth, a home address or residence on the earth. We see this desire of God in Exodus God delivers the people from Egypt and one of the first things that he tells Moses is the blueprint for the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. Blueprint for the tabernacle, tent of meeting, meets with Moses on Mount Sinai and he begins to lay out all of the plans for the construction of this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, this dwelling place. Notice the language of tent of meeting, which literally means you can go to this tent and meet God. And so this is the tent of meeting, this is the dwelling place, that he wants his people to build for him. In uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse eight, this is where God speaks to to Moses and he says, let them, say them, construct a sanctuary for me, and here's the purpose, that I may dwell among them. He wanted a dwelling place. This word dwell here means to settle down, to abide, to reside. Remember when Jesus said, abide in me and I in you to reside. So listen to me, God wanted a dwelling place among his people so that they could be distinguished from everyone else on the earth. You remember when, uh, you remember when Elijah and the prophets of Baal were on the mountain and he made this distinguishing point. He said, when the the prophets of Baal were around their altar and they were cutting themselves and they were yelling and shouting, he was like, hey, maybe he's not hearing you. Yell louder. What he was saying was, he was differentiating. Um, The Hebrew God, you don't have to shout like that because he's actually a lot closer because we build him a dwelling place. He's among us. He's not somewhere off that you have to yell loud enough for him to come and hear you, he's a lot closer than that. So maybe, maybe your God is far off, but ours is close, because he told us if we build him a dwelling place, he will reside there. This tabernacle or tent of meeting was, it was a mobile home, really. It was a mobile home, because as Israel traveled through the wilderness and into the promised land, uh, they would temporarily set it up for a period of time, then they would Pack it up, move it, and then they would set it up, pack it up, move it, and they would do that rinse and repeat over and over again for the course of 40 years. But how many of you know that traveling is fun, but it's really not fun living out of a suitcase? Like, have you ever been on the road for a period of time? You just It's not fun after a while living out of a suitcase. Traveling is fun for a while, but eventually you get to the place where you want to go back home. Where do you think we got that desire from? Right. We got that from God. Because this mobile home that Israel was creating for him ultimately was not what he wanted. He wanted a more permanent place to dwell. And so we see that when they cross into the promised land. Here we see Solomon arrive, David's son. And Solomon builds a temple. This temple is not a mobile home now, it's a Permanent structure among his people he builds the most glorious structure ever built by human hands at the time And this was a dwelling place for God sadly this temple gets destroyed and by the Babylonians when they take Israel into exile and so there's an extended period of time where Israel is away from their homeland and then we see with Nehemiah and we see with Ezra and we see with all of these Old Testament prophets. That's the time where they are allowed to go back to the homeland. And then what happens when the first things that God instructs his people is before you build your houses, build my dwelling place. And he gives them instructions. You know, he, so I don't know if you, 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 you see this, but listen to me. God is passionate about having a dwelling place on the earth. God is passionate about having a home address. God was passionate about his dwelling place. And one of the things about his dwelling place uh, that we see this passion laid out in is that he did not leave the decision and this is about this this ties all into Jesus building his church. He did not leave the de- decision about what his dwelling place would look like to his people. When he speaks to Moses, he lays out the whole blueprint and all the plans. When they come back, he speaks to Ezra and Nehemiah, and he gives them all of the details about what this new temple would be. Be Because he's passionate about this. So he chooses the location, he chooses the materials, he chooses the shape of the structure. But listen to me, ultimately, even this rebuilt temple wasn't what God wanted as a dwelling place. It was, he went from a mobile home to a a starter home. That's what this was. How many of you ever, uh, you know that in American culture, that first home is usually called a starter home. So the tenant meeting, the tabernacle is a mobile home, but he wants a more fixed permanent home. And so he tells Solomon, I want you to build my temple, build my place. And that is going to be my dwelling place, but that's the starter home. Ultimately, he wants a forever home. Just like most of us, we want to finally get into a house. We got this dream and aspiration. We got this. We want this forever home, which means I'm going to die here. I am, I, this is the last one I'm going to get. And I want it to be what I want it to be. And I am going home to see Jesus in this home. I'm not moving again. Right. OK, why do we have that desire inside of us? Because God wanted a forever home. He wanted a place that he could dwell that he would not have to move away from. And scripture tells us that ultimately, these temporary dwellings were just patterns of something infinitely more valuable and important to God. And we see that in the book of Haggai. What does Haggai say in chapter two, verse nine? He says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Basically, what he's saying is this, that my mobile home and my permanent, that first starter home, those things were great. But I'm telling you, my house, the dwelling place that I will ultimately set up shop in and I will dwell in forever, that will exceed in glory even these former places. And it's interesting because even in that same book, Haggai makes God speaks to Haggai and he says, hey, he says, I want you to instruct my people that they are not to glorify their homes more than mine. He says this about his house because he's passionate about his house. He says, how are they fixing up their houses while my house remains in ruins? God is passionate about his house, about the place that he chooses To dwell, this idea of a dwelling place that was more greater, more valuable, and more important than the former dwelling place is shown in Stephen's sermon. And he alludes to the reality that um, this new house that God is going to inhabit, this new house that God is going to dwell in, it's not going to be made by human hands anymore. He says this in Acts chapter 7 verses 48 through 50, he says, however... The Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Now, that was a stab and a jab and a criticism uh, of the people he was speaking to because he was speaking to the temple leaders at the time. And he says, hey, I got good news for you. Um, This massive house that you have created for God, he don't live there anymore because he does not dwell in something made by human hands. He says in verse 49, it says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? What was being spoken by the prophet at this time was, though I gave you instructions about my mobile home and though I gave you instructions about how to build my starter home, ultimately I'm not satisfied in dwelling in something that you build, in something that humans build. I got a better idea. I've got a greater dwelling place that I want to reside in than that. So what Stephen was saying is that ultimately what mankind could create as a dwelling place paled in comparison to the dwelling place that God ultimately wanted. So what is this ideal dwelling place that God wanted? What is this home that God longed for on the earth? Well, Ephesians chapter two, verses 20 and 21 talks about it. See, God didn't just want a shrine. He didn't want just a, a tabernacle, a tent, a meeting, a temple, or a building made by human hands. God wanted a very specific type of building. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 in the message translation. He says, God is building a home. It went from, listen, under the old covenant, God says, you build me a home. Under the new covenant, he says, I'm building myself one because the human hands that created a home for me were not enough. But how does he build it? it? It requires this new covenant transformation. He says this, he says, God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here. How many of you are thankful that irrespective of what got you here, you are here? He says he is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he is building. Now is he just using you to build something? No, it's not that. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he is using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together, and it goes on to say this, we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, and all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. So what is the ideal dwelling place that God wanted? What is this home that God longed for on the earth? God ultimately wanted his dwelling place, not around his people, but in his people. in his people, not around his people. Man. There is, listen, God is a space invader. Man. Just being around you is not close enough. To, to be in the house next door is not close enough. I need to be as close as possible and make you my dwelling place. The way I do that is I gotta get in you because I, I need to be as close as possible to you. Listen, that's why Matthew 28, when he says in the Great Commission, go into all the world, he says, and lo, I will be with you forever. You know why he said that? Because you are his dwelling place, and if he's not in you, he's homeless in the world. God's not choosing homelessness over you being his residence. We are the dwelling place. And I wanna remind you, yeah. just like Paul reminded the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 3.16, because obviously we can forget this. Mm-hmm. He says, do you not know that you are a temple of God Woo! and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Yeah, Lord. Do you not know that? Yeah. I, yeah. He has no other home, yeah. no other right. home. but you. What? Listen, the Ark of the Covenant, I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he echoes this again. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And this is the part that I love. Y'all are not your own. You are not your house. You are his house. Let me remind you, let me remind you, um, you I heard you. I had that in my notes, but I took it out. I'm going to say it again. God is not subletting space in your heart. He's not coming to you and saying, can I just have a little bit of a room? I promise I'll pay you rent called prosperity all. Oh. I promise to bless you if you just give me a little bit of space. No, 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 no. When you give your life to Jesus, he's like, this is my house now. So you got to speak to me. You got to know what I want for my house. Because I didn't go through all I went through to sublet space in your heart. Your heart is my heart now. Your house is My house. I have eminent domain in your house because your house ain't your house. You are borrowing space from me now because you are my dwelling place. Do you not know that you are not your own? The Ark of the Covenant wasn't the ideal dwelling place for God. The tabernacle was not the ideal dwelling place. Solomon's temple was not the ideal dwelling place. The temple in Jerusalem was not the ideal dwelling place. Those were just starter homes, but God wanted a forever home, and God's dream was ultimately for his people to be his dwelling place. And God went from commanding the people of God to build a house for himself, to now they would be the house that he built for himself. Let me just say something. Mm. Have you ever been to church? Now, I'm not coming for anybody right now. Mm. (laughs) But I've heard this said, and I'm just saying it's slightly off. How many of you have ever heard someone say, are you glad to be in the house of God today? Mm -hmm. Anybody? I'm not coming for anybody. I'm not mentioning names. Anybody ever say that? This ain't the house of God. A better invite, a better saying would be, are you glad to be the house of God today? Because we are a house, this is not the house. Listen, this is not the house. We are not in the house of God, we are the house of God. You are the temple, I am the temple, and we is the temple. Because sometimes, you just need to not have some subject-verb agreement just to stir it up. You are the temple, I am the temple, and say it together, we is the temple. We is the temple. Let me remind you this morning that when Redeemer's Church gathers on a Sunday, we are not gathering at the house of God, we are bringing the house of God to the building when we gather. We are creating a place for God to come home. That's what we're doing. We got, there are so many churches. Matter of fact, there are so many churches that on the other side of those doors, you will see it. Welcome home. And usually it is applied to lost coming home. But let us not neglect the primary the primary purpose of the church gathering. This is his home before it was our home. So when we say welcome home, yes, that is for the lost coming home, that is for the lost being found, but I don't want that to be the goal of our focus at the expense of God not feeling welcome in his home. Welcome home. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here because this is your house. It is his house, not ours. And I don't know about you, but I want God to be more comfortable in his house than we are. Which means we step on toes from time to time. Because the moment that you start to feel entitled to the space, listen... God's like, this is my house, not your house. Okay, you are here because I've allowed you to be here. You are here because I chose you. But make no mistake about it, it's my house, not yours. And have you ever been in that really awkward situation where you have invited people over to your house and they start to get really awkward and have interactions in your house and you're like, I'm uncomfortable in my own home. Mm-mm. Get out. I'll never forget. I'm going to tell the story. It's not even in my notes. But there, for the sake of anim- anonymity, there was a guy that came over to my parents' house named Basin Pumbar. I don't want you guys to know who it is. Okay? I like to cover people. And... Um, And so we're in my house, and it's like 1130 at night, and we're having fun, we're hanging out, and it's snowed outside. And Basin Pumbar has this idea to go outside, sculpt the snowball, come into the house, and tosses that at me or someone else and it hits the wall, and guess what happened? You're not in your house. Right. <laughs> You're in somebody else's house. And that person gets to decide what happens in their house. Right. So my dad got up, whoo! <laughs> he looked at the wall and said, two words, you out. <laughs> That was it. (laughs) Because you're not going to do something in my house that makes me as the owner uncomfortable. So that means we gotta talk about truth. We gotta talk about things that are offensive. Because in Timothy, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says that the church literally is the pillar of what? Truth. And we talk about stuff that makes us uncomfortable right, right. because it's his house, not our house. Right. Right. So the moment we start to like our butt print in the seat a little bit, too much, he has to shake things up to get you uncomfortable because you're in his house, not, and, and this is the thing about, I love about God, God loves us all, he loves us so much, but um, he's not going to love us At the expense of him him being uncomfortable in the house that he died on the cross for. So he's going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, not in my house. Mm. Not in my house. Mm. Maybe in your house, but not my house. Because this is his house, not ours. Listen. There are spiritual houses that the Holy Spirit has to go to, but I want our church to be a place that he loves to go to. Because he is so welcome here. This building does not possess the Spirit of God. Its gatherers do. This building does not contain the presence of God. Its gatherers do. When we gather, we come as individual temples of the Holy Spirit to become the collective dwelling place of God. It's not the building that carries the presence. It's the body of Christ that carries the presence. Without the body of Christ gathering, this is just another building. And I want the Holy Spirit to love being here on Sunday morning when we gather. And I'll tell you what, with that worship set, Come on. he was loving life. He was loving being here because there was no games being played. I love what Leslie uh, opened up with, we're here to work, we are here to gather and worship the Lord. This is why, and this is why we're trying to cut down our sermons, Pastor Dwight, because the sermons should not be the center of the gathering. The people of God gathered around the presence of God and that was the priority, not the other way around. And we go, we, and this is where I know that we need a little bit of a reformation because we go places and we say, I'm not fed there. Right. What did you give? Right. What did you, what ministry did you provide to the Lord? Right. To take the JFK statement, ask not what your church can do for you, yes. but what you can do for your church. Because the primary purpose of us gathering is to minister to the one whose house we are in. This is not just another building. Allison and I went to Europe, and I'm going to close in a minute if we could get the worship team up here. Allison and I went to uh, Europe, and one of the things that we saw that I thought was cool is we went to um, the Vatican and we saw St. Peter's Basilica. Do we have pictures of that? St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah, that's the outside of St. Peter's Basilica. This is the world-famous uh, church in the center of um, Vatican City. Go ahead and hit the other one. It's, it's amazing. Okay? That, that's, that's the inside of it. Uh, at the, it's interesting because at the center of Vatican... Has anyone ever been to St. Peter's Basilica? Awesome. At the center of St. Peter's Basilica, you go down these steps and it's locked off. You can't go down there. But underneath, (laughs) this is so crazy, underneath the building is the supposed tomb of Peter. Because upon this rock, I will build my church. And I cannot tell you, I loved going there and seeing all all the architecture, and there's gold, and it's adorned, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's incredible. But you know what? It's just a shallow shell without the presence of God. Because God doesn't dwell in a building made by human hands as if he needed anything. He dwells in the hearts of people. Not an amazing building that's, that took years to craft and years to cultivate. I'm not speaking against the Catholic Church. I'm just saying that's not what draws the presence of God. (laughs) The gold. He's he's got all of that. What draws the presence of God is hearts with an attitude that says, when I gather, I want to be your dwelling place. I want to be the place that you are drawn to, that you don't feel like you are obligated to be at. Because there are, listen, there are places where God's like, cause we know this. There are places where you gotta show up because you said yes. How many places does God say, I made a promise? Right. <sighs> I wanna be a place where he's like, it's eight o'clock, I'm up, I'm early, I read this meme today, I thought it was so amazing. It said, people, don't change your your clocks because it's daylight savings time because you'll actually be on time for church. You'll get to experience the first 15 minutes. Dwelling place. It was just a shell if the Spirit of God wasn't there. To sum it up, God no longer dwells in man-made buildings, but he dwells in his church, his people with God-shaped hearts who love, worship, and believe in him. Listen, they aren't just the dwelling place of God. But the church that Jesus is building is a people who hold in reverence that they are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me? This message, this message is about, um, it's about the vertical call of the church. It's about the vertical call of the church. The vertical call of the church is to be a dwelling place. Now at the core of the dwelling place of God is a focal point that we cannot forget or neglect. How many of you know that houses have focal points? Houses get sold on focal points. You go into a house and they're going to advertise an accent wall or they're going to advertise a fireplace. These fireplaces are a focal point. What is the focal point in the dwelling place of God? It's his throne. It's his throne. Psalms chapter 22 verse three says this. So how how do we make this gathering, not only his dwelling place, but we accentuate the focal point. Psalms 22 verse three says that he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. This is why worship is not something we just trudge through to get to the meat. It is the first thing because it's really the only thing. When we gather, our job, our responsibility is if we wanna be the dwelling place of God, then it is our responsibility to collectively build his throne because that is the focal point of his dwelling place. This is why, listen, this is why in John chapter four, I believe, or this is why when Jesus came into the temple, He kicked over all that stuff. Why? Because, and it said this, it said he kicked over all the places they were selling pigeons and doves and whatever the sacrifices is because it was a fulfillment of a word, of a phrase from the Old Testament. Zeal for my father's house will consume me. Jesus came to ultimately fulfill God's passionate heart his father's heart to have a dwelling place for his father and he's like you know what we're not going to allow this gathering of people to be a place that is more about selling something than being a sanctuary for the spirit to dwell in so he starts to kick everything out and ultimately what we see at the end which is no accident because Leslie opened up with the final scripture of my message today. That's no accident. Revelations chapter five. We're gonna get into building his throne. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power. Listen, this is heaven. This is what's going on in heaven. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing. Say every created thing. Which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in Him. I heard saying to Him who sits on the throne, into the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped look at this picture come on look at this picture in Revelation chapter 21 and i'm going to close and then we're going to build his throne because this is his dwelling place it says this it says in uh revelation 21 Verse uh, 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away And verse 5. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for these words are faithful and true. I'm going to go back to Revelation 5 really quickly because there's two verses that the Lord just reminded me of right before we got started this morning, or this, yes. In verses, uh, I think it's nine into eight, he said this, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. We are kingdoms and we are, or we are kings and we are priests, so let's do what the church that Jesus is building intended to do, to be a dwelling place where we build his throne and make him glorified and honored in our midst. Father, we come to you right now. And Father, we make right now the main thing. Lord, we pray, God, right now, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored in our midst as we build your throne, God, In Jesus' name, let's worship Him who is worthy.